All right, so Father, I pray that you'll speak through me. Let everything be accomplished in this time in the Word that your will be done. Give us good fertile soil and anoint our eyes and ears. Let the Word go out as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit that will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. We thank you, Lord, for it right now in Jesus' name. Anoint our eyes and ears. Give us an eyes and ears and the Spirit. Lock us in. Get us focused. Give you our best ear and full attention in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for it. I think there's still some music or something playing. Maybe things need to be muted. All right. You got your notes. Just follow along with me here. I've been dealing with the priesthood of the believer. I've covered a lot of ground. I've been going through the tabernacle. If you haven't had a chance to hear this, I encourage you to go. You can podcast us through iTunes. Also, sermon.net. You can get all of our teachings through that. They have a free app for iPhones and iPads and things like that if you want to download that. It's a very small app. But anyway, it's, uh, it's good stuff. I, I've covered a lot with the priesthood. I've had a real heart for this, and God has been really moving in this time. So as we've been going through the tabernacle of Moses, this is a pattern for the glory. And so you've been going through the outer court, through the gate. We've already dealt with that, what that represents. Went through the bronze altar, represents the cross. Went past that to the laver. Has to do with water baptism and the washing of the water of the word. Sanctifying work of the spirit. Now we're going out from that outer court into the holy place. And when you go from the outside sunlight, now you're going into that holy place. It's a tent. And so I'll talk about the tent and all that another time, but I mainly want to focus on the table of showbread. But when you go through that that first veil, not the one in the Holy of Holies, but it's the first veil, to your right is this table of showbread, to your left is the lampstand. The table of showbread represents communion, and the lampstand represents the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But in the outer court, everything was lit up with natural sunlight. And that's where a lot of Christians dwell. They accept Jesus Christ, they get born again, they get water baptized, and that's it. They hang out there, and and they're talking about the blood, which the blood is awesome and important, and, and they talk about their salvation experience, which is important. But God wants us to get beyond just the bronze altar of salvation and into some deeper things of God. And a lot of ministries, a lot of ministers, a lot of churches, a lot of denominations out there are not going into the deeper things of God. So when you get into the holy place and you move past that first veil, now you're dealing with the manifest presence of the Lord. You're dealing with the, the gifts of the Spirit at work because the priestly garments, remember I preached on that, the bells are chiming. you got tongues, you got the gifts there. you got the glory there with the uh, holy place and the holy of holies. The bells rip, so the glory is all through there. you got worship that's in spirit and in truth. You've got revelation from the Lord. And we've got to get to a place of revelation. How many knows that there's a difference between your natural mind and the mind of the Spirit? There's a difference. There's a difference between your natural thinking and revelation that comes by the Holy Spirit. And so this is now a time I'm going to start going deeper. And the children children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness time, (coughs) 
As they wandered through the wilderness, the Bible says that they were wandering for 40 years because they disobeyed God. They didn't want to go into the promised land. While they're wandering for 40 years, did you know the Bible says that their shoes did not wear out? Their clothes did not wear out? I don't know about you, but I don't got any clothes that are 40 years old. Their clothes did not wear out. I can just see me preaching this and some precious old lady somewhere back there going, I do, I got a shirt that's 40 years. But God supernaturally, well, you know, that's one thing for us to say that because we just go to Walmart back. I mean, these people were wandering through a wilderness for 40 years, exposed to the elements. And it was a supernatural provision by God to sustain them. And not only that, but God wanted most of them to die in the wilderness so their children can enter the promised land. But I want you to think about this. Look how old and healthy Moses and Aaron were when they died. And not only that, how young and healthy God kept Joshua and Caleb. So what was the vehicle through which the children of Israel had this supernatural provision and this supernatural health? Think about it for a moment. God preserved Joshua and Caleb. He preserved their youth. He preserved their health. He preserved all of their garments. What sustained them? I believe it had to do with the manna, and the manna had to do with communion. That's the vehicle through which God sustained them. And I'll explain it as I go. There's a precious old lady named Fran that I love very much. Many of you know her. And uh, she doesn't come to our church, but she goes to a church of a dear friend of mine. And um, she's in her 80s. Well, I was just talking to her. I preached at their church, and she came up to me and was talking to me for a while. And she brought all this up. I, I didn't even ask her, but she was telling me, she said, you know, I'm such and such age. I don't remember. It's in the 80s. And she said, you know, she said, I, I take communion every day. I said, well, well, that's good, you know. And she said, I believe that's why my youth has been renewed and I am like I am. Because she's in her 80s, but she still gets around. And anybody that knows her can testify to this. She still gets around and is just as healthy as somebody probably in their, their 60s or maybe even their late 50s. I mean, she's in great health. And she was telling me, without me even asking, obviously the Lord wanted me to know, but she was telling me, she, she said, I believe the reason why I am like I am is because I take communion every day. Smith Wigglesworth took communion every day. He talked about that. So I believe after I talk about communion tonight, I believe that there's going to be a revelation that's going to come to people. Because of this revelation, your faith is going to skyrocket about the Lord's Supper. And because of that, you're going to want to start taking the Lord's Supper a lot more frequently than you ever have. Okay? But there is a very strong connection with the Lord's Supper and the manifest glory of God. And I'm going to prove that, but, but there is. Whenever Dick Rubin came to the Brownsville to preach before the revival, he preached a series and he prophesied about the coming revival. He saw an angel there. He prophesied. And one of the things he preached on was communion. And Pastor Kilpatrick began to take communion with the church frequently at Brownsville and speak blessings over them. They were already doing a lot of prayer, but he began to take communion frequently and speak blessings frequently. And he said later, he said, that God spoke to him, if you will saturate my house with the bread of presence, which I'm going to talk about, 
He said, I will fill this house with my presence. And God did. So there's a direct connection with communion and the glory of God. Okay? All right, so let me go ahead and dive into this. Exodus 23, 25. Just follow along in the notes if you want to take notes and all that. But go back this next week and look over these. But listen to this. It says, you will also, now God was speaking to Moses and telling him to do these things. He said, you will also, notice the word also, make a table of showbread. He was talking about the ark. And then he said, also, I want you to make a table of showbread. The word also denotes a connection with the ark and the table of showbread. They're connected. And the height of that table was the same height as the mercy seat of the ark of the covenant. So they're very connected. I want you to see that the ark of the glory was very connected to the table. God basically told Moses at the same time to make them together and they're the same height. You know what's interesting in the outer court? The bronze altar was about five feet tall. The laver had to be big enough to water baptize people, so it had to be a decent size. But when you went into the holy place, did you know that the table of showbread was two feet high? That's short. Okay, and the, the lampstand also had to be small because it was made out of a small piece of gold. It had to be short. And so I got to thinking about this this week. And you know what I believe it represents? Humility. Because the priest, when they went in, they had to kneel down to trim that lampstand. They had to kneel down to change that bread out. And it was in a humble position that they were ministering before the Lord. Let me tell you, in the outer court, it's one way. But when you get into God's presence, it's, you better humble yourself. You will not be able to function in the glory without great humility. All right, so I'm going to break down this table of showbread. The Bible calls it the bread of presence. And presence in the Hebrew speaks of face. In the Hebrew, it means like a face, faces. So it's the bread of face, the bread of God's face. Isn't that interesting? So what it is, it represents humility. And it represents intimacy with God. They go together. Humility and intimacy. It is a place where the bread of presence, the bread of face is, where you can be face to face with the Lord. An intimate, an intimate place. Luke 22, 19 through 20 Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after he took, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So he was taking the Passover, which was a Jewish holiday, and now he was putting an emphasis on the bread and the wine, and he was making... Now, something that would be communion, not only for the Jewish people, but it would go to the Gentiles. But he put an emphasis on this and said, now, you've known this one way, but now I'm showing you that this is my body that's broken. This is my blood that's poured out. And he instituted communion. It's a very powerful thing. Many of you are familiar with the road to Emmaus. When Jesus died, raised from the dead, all these other people raised up from the dead at the same time, and Jesus appeared. For several days, he appeared to different people. And he appeared on the road to Emmaus to two disciples, walked with them, and explained the scriptures to them. So they're walking with Jesus, and they're, and they're basically saying, haven't you heard 
about what's happened in Jerusalem. This prophet died and Jesus was, was acting like he didn't know what was going on. But as he began to explain the scriptures to them, they came to a place. I want you to notice this. Let me read it to you in verse 30. When he was at the table with them. So Jesus ended up walking to a table and sat down at a table with them. He took bread, gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then, after they received the bread, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? When Jesus, when you sit at the table with the Lord and you break bread with him, there's great revelation that is released. See, they walked along the road with Jesus and he was expounding the scriptures to him, but they did not really see him until they sat at his table and he broke bread. And when he did that, their eyes were opened and revelation came. In the Lord's Supper, there's great revelation. It will open you up to greater revelation than what you've had. What I'm trying to show you this is that Jesus, as he was walking and talking with them, he was talking about all the scriptures but when they sat down, it was as though some kind of spiritual veil was removed. And now they could see the one whom the scriptures speak of. They went from Logos to Rhema. They went from, from an intellectual understanding now to divine revelation. There's something about the Lord's Supper that opens people up to great revelation. Now, something interesting, I'll go back and forth with some of this, but the priest in the Old Testament, people speculate as to how they got into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. If you follow me, this will make sense here in a moment with what I'm talking about. But the priest would go in once a year, had on their garments, and they had to take a coal from the altar outside. They would put it on the, that golden altar of incense. There was this red-hot coal sitting there, and they would sprinkle incense and burn it. It represents praise and worship, prayer and intercession. They let that incense go up. And they also had this little censer that was burning incense as well. And scholars have wondered how they got past that veil for a long time because as time went on, that veil got very, very thick and heavy. And some people wonder, well, did they go around to the side of the veil and go around? Did they get on their face and crawl under the veil? But with that said, how would you know when to enter God's presence? What would be the timing? But one thought that scholars seem to believe is this. That whenever the priest would burn that incense, it's the Day of Atonement, and he, that high priest would stand there up against that veil, and he would worship the Lord, and he had that incense burning, that the Lord would supernaturally transport him into that Holy of Holies. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say how he got in. But scholars believe and it's taught that he was supernaturally brought in. So with that said, when Jesus died on the cross, his body was ripped open. Okay, we know that. It was ripped open. And when he died and, and he said it is finished and he completed what he was hung on that cross to do. As the great high priest, remember, it is finished. The veil in the temple, which was extremely thick and heavy. There was no way that a human being could have done this, but it ripped all the way from top to bottom. 
Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus' body was ripped. Now the veil that has separated us is ripped. It's connected. So when you're at the Lord's table and you're partaking of that bread that represents His body, it's a spiritual act that's so powerful. There's something about it that is supernaturally transporting you past the veil. So what is the veil? The first thing the veil is, is your flesh. Amen? We've got to get past the flesh and into the spirit. So as you're taking communion, as you're taking that bread of presence, Jesus' body that was broken and ripped, that veil was ripped, as you take that, it's as though supernaturally you're being removed past the veil and different veils that have blinded you are being removed now you're moving into God's presence where revelation is coming. And it can be effort, effortless if you have the revelation of this. See, some people are coming in and they're taking the Lord's Supper, but they really, anything that we do, you have to do it with faith or it's just going to be a ritual. So you know how many people out there, it's just a dead ritual? The reason why I'm preaching on this is because I want it Faith comes by hearing. I'm wanting the word to go out, get into you, and it produces great faith. So when you take communion, there's a faith there. And when there's a faith there, then it's extremely powerful. So it can be effortless that we get into God's presence, but the only way that's going to be is by the table first. All three sections, it's about the blood. The outer court was about the blood. The holy place, the first stop is the table of showbread. It's about the blood. And then the holy of holies, the blood is on the mercy seat. So it's about the blood. The blood is what allowed entrance. The blood is what gave access. The blood is what kept them alive. And I'll talk about that. But as you go into God's presence, some people, they say, Pastor Scott, how do you get into the glory? I'm telling you, if you get a revelation about communion, you won't be asking me that anymore. Because it's not your works. Well, if I praise hard enough, if I dance high enough, if I shout loud enough, if I pray long enough, if I read enough of the Bible, all, the, all those things are good things. But that is not what's going to get you in the glory. What will get you in the glory is childlike faith in the blood. So when you take communion, you literally are coming under the blood fresh, a fresh covering of the blood, and the blood will take you right into the glory. There's many, many times I take communion daily, and I, you probably figured that out by now. But whenever I'm taking communion and praying in the morning, it's the first thing I do. Is I examine myself. Lord, is there anything I need to confess? Is there anybody I need to forgive? And when you're in the ministry, there's people you need to forgive. So, Lord, just letting it go. Just pray about it. And as you take communion and you remember the power of the body and blood, as I'm sitting there with this, just praying, the glory of God sometimes becomes so heavy. It's amazing. And you haven't even entered into worship yet. Why? Because it's the blood that takes you in. Then the glory starts coming in. I've preached on this before some, touched on it in my prayer series, and I had two different people come up to me and tell me. Um, one of them in particular was Rachel. She said she, she started praying and taking communion, and she was focusing on the power of the blood and all that. And she said the glory came on her so strong that she had to just lay down, and she said that was her prayer time. She couldn't do anything else. She was just in the glory. How many knows that's a good prayer time? Okay. But it has to be faith in the blood. But we can do a lot of things, but if it's not in faith, it's like the shofar tonight. 
why did I take a moment to tell you about Gideon and the, and the walls of Jericho and give you some scriptures? So, because as soon as I said that, you heard the word faith came up. And now when we blasted, it was in faith. Because I can get up here and pick up that shofar and just blast it and it's nothing. It's nothing but a sound. But when it's combined with faith, then it's powerful. So communion is just a dead ritual to a lot of people. But if they'll get revelation about it, it'll produce faith. All right, I'm sorry for any typo on your notes, but it should say the unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing spouse. All right, this is an interesting... I'm going to start moving now pretty quickly through this. I feel like I've laid a good groundwork. All right, so in the Bible, there's a principle that if, if somebody gets saved and they're married to an unbeliever, they were already married, and, and let's say the wife got saved, the Bible promises her. I believe it's 1 Corinthians 5, 7. I had the notes in there somewhere. That she or 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that she will sanctify her husband and children by her faith. That's powerful, isn't it? So, <clears throat> if an unbelieving spouse can be sanctified by the believing spouse, then how much more so when you're taking the Lord's Supper and you're being close and intimate with the Lord at His table? Because that's intimacy with God. And let me say something that's going to sound really weird, but... How many knows that we're living in some really weird times? And there's a lot of really weird things going on, okay? But God, I'm going to go ahead and say this because some people may need to hear this, but God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God's holy angels and God's holy servants, if they're a real servant of God, they will never be sexual towards you. I'm just telling you. So anytime there's something sexually going on like that it's not from god okay all right because in the realm of the occult there's some weird stuff that goes on that's all i'm gonna say but this is this is the place where it's not sexual at all but there's an intimacy with god that's on the same level of intimacy as a husband and wife and if a believing person can sanctify the unbelieving how much more so as we're being one with the Lord, taking communion, how much more so are we being sanctified? Do you see this? This is the table of the bread of His presence, of His face, of being one with Him, becoming one with Him, being close to Him, being intimate with Him. And there's a scripture I'll read later. It talks about the yeast being purged out. Sin is Yeast speaks of sin. There's a purging out. There's a sanctifying work that's going on in people. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The sanctifying work of the washing of the water of the Word. But as you're taking communion, I'm telling you, taking communion frequently in faith will produce a sanctifying effect in your life. You'll look back on it later and realize how much you've grown spiritually and how much of an impact that's really had on you. There's also another principle. As the children of Israel had Passover. Passover was a picture and type of what we have now as communion. Okay? They had to kill a perfect lamb. Okay? They roasted it. They ate the lamb. But there was one lamb per household. The entire family was affected by that one lamb. And there was a lady, I've got to share this because it was so powerful. Bill Johnson was sharing this at a conference I was at. He said that there was a lady in his church that had a son 
he was very rebellious away from God and actually he had gotten into the occult so he's very rebellious and hateful he was estranged from her she was worried for him but she couldn't talk to him he didn't want to hear anything he's totally rebellious a very bad relationship and so she was praying for him one day and the Lord spoke to her about that scripture that said that the believing spouse sanctified the unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing and the Lord spoke to her and said there's one lamb per household meaning to her that as she took the Lord's Supper that it could release something throughout her family and so once that revelation came how many knows when the Lord gives you a revelation there is great faith that comes with that revelation when the Lord spoke that to her faith just arose within her so she goes and she takes communion not just for her but for her household for her family this son of hers had been estranged from her for a long time didn't want anything to do with her certainly didn't want anything to do with God after she took communion something broke over his life and he called her and he apologized and you know that they not only were reconciled he got saved it broke something in the spirit realm the demonic that had a hold on him it broke something there the power of the blood so what I'm telling you is there is one lamb per household the table in the presence of our enemies when you take communion as you do it in faith it can have a ripple effect throughout your family when you throw a stone into a pond the stone lands in one place but there's a ripple that will go throughout a very large territory you're taking communion in one place but there's a ripple effect that it's having throughout your family it affects your kids it affects your grandkids it even affects your household people that are staying with you as a pastor if I take communion because I'm the headship it has some kind of a ripple effect throughout the church but this is the table in the presence of our enemies just like that woman she was kind of in the presence of her enemies, so to speak with her son and the demonic that was there but when she took communion it broke something Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, you and your household. Paul was, was, was talking to that jailer and said that you and your household will be saved. How many knows that the Lord cares about your whole family? That's why the Bible says that showing, whenever he talked about those that obey his word, he says, showing love to a thousand generations of those that love me and keep my commandments. We all know that generational curses do affect some things. Break it, okay? Break them. But now God is wanting generational blessings to come, which are much more powerful than generational curses. will overtake them, break them, and generational blessings travel down a family line to a thousand generations to them that love God. Okay? So this is a powerful revelation. And remember Noah. Even though his family, it doesn't say much about them. It says Noah was a righteous man. But yet, his whole family was spared and saved and brought into that ark. It doesn't say that his family were righteous. It says Noah was righteous. Lot, it says about Lot, he was a righteous man living in Sodom. He was grieved by what's around him. His family wasn't righteous. His wife turned to a pillar of salt because she wanted to go back. Both his daughters were sexually perverted, got him drunk so that they could get pregnant by him. All of that, they, they, were, they were lost, okay? They were not good people. But even though they weren't, Lot was a righteous man and whenever the angels came Lot and his whole family were spared and brought out because of Lot 
So what I'm trying to say is, is that you have a lot more effect over your family than you could ever imagine with God. When God sees you, he sees your whole family. He cares about your whole family. And they may not be doing good, but you can be the agent through which now there's a breakthrough and change in the whole family. The whole family. The blood protection. Job got up every day. Job 1.9. Every day he would get up and he would shed blood of an animal for his family. We need the blood applied every day to our lives. Remember that. It's a daily thing. Some people say, well, I got saved years ago and the blood was applied. That's fine, man. But we need the blood applied again today. Okay? The blood of Jesus needs to be fresh every day. All right. Job got up every single day and he shed blood for his family. He said, perhaps somebody sinned against God. He understood the principle of how this was affecting his whole family. Okay? So while Job was doing that, Satan approached God and Satan had some of his fallen angels. And they said, and God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And, and then Satan said, well, haven't, have you not put a hedge of protection around him, his family, and all that he owns? If you'll lift that hedge of protection, and then Satan started accusing him. But I want you to see something. Because of that blood that he shed every day, there was some kind of a spiritual hedge of protection around him and his family and all they had that the devil couldn't touch him. And the devil had to acknowledge that to God and say, I can't get to it. Unless you remove that hedge, I can't touch him. That's the point I want to make. Why was that hedge there? Because of the blood. Whenever the death angel was released, the children of Israel were told, take some hyssop, kill a lamb, put the blood on the doorpost of your home. So they got that hyssop. It's like a handful of grass. They used it like a paintbrush and they painted it on the doorpost of their home. And because that blood was there, the death angel came and had to pass over where that blood is, could not touch him. The blood forms some kind of a protection where the enemy cannot get through it to you. And the blood is powerfully applied in communion. What about entering the glory? The Bible says that our prayers, the prayers of a righteous man, the Amplified Bible says this, the prayers of a righteous man make tremendous power available. If people would just believe that. Did you hear me? People just believe it. Not get lifted up with pride. See, we are the righteousness of God in Christ because of what Jesus did, not because of anything that we've ever done. So whenever you take communion and you confess your sin and you get things right with God, you've got to understand the Bible says, God made him who knew no sin become sin for you, that through him you become the righteousness of God in Christ. So if you could get a revelation of this, as you're taking communion, just get a revelation that I am made as holy as it is possible to be made because of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then once you have that revelation that because of his body and blood, because of who he is, because of the cross, I am made totally righteous and holy and pure after you get that revelation, now you can understand my prayers make tremendous power available. If people would just believe that. Like David Hogan says, I read it, the devil should have never let me read it because once I read it, I believed it. Amen? If people would just simply believe, a childlike faith, just believe that you really are the righteousness of God. But because of that, your prayers are so powerful. And then secondly... 
because of the blood, you can come into the glory. It's not because of your righteousness. But because the blood is being applied to your life, the glory will come. See, when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the first thing that he had to do, he had that censer, but he also had a bowl of blood. He had to take that blood and he had to put it on the mercy seat. But the mercy seat was the top of the Ark of the Covenant. When he put it there, sprinkled it there, the glory of God would come down and light that place up like a light bulb. And there he was face to face with the glory of God. But it was the blood that brought him into that encounter. And if people could get a revelation that if an Old Testament priest who only had a shadow of in type of what we have today could get into the glory on that level, then how much more so can we get into the glory in a greater level in Christ? That through his blood, he came through the blood of an animal, we're coming through the blood of Christ. But we can enter the Holy of Holies and we can get into God's manifest presence because of the blood. So if you'll get that revelation, understand the glory will, will come. The children of Israel, whenever they stood before God on Mount Sinai, you remember reading the story. God came down. His voice was like a shofar blast. They were scared half to death. They said, Moses, we're scared of this God. Why don't you go talk to him for us? But Moses goes and he makes an altar before the Lord at the foot of the mountain and sheds blood, sheds a sacrifice. And he takes the blood of that animal and he was sprinkling it on the children of Israel and said, this is the blood of the covenant. When Moses got some of the leaders and took them with him up the mountain, they got, you can read this for yourself, they got up the mountain into God's manifest presence. And it says that they sat and they ate and they saw God but they ate and they drank and they did not die that's what it says in the Bible why didn't they die because while they were going up that mountain God saw those little splotches of blood on them and the blood made them holy and the blood brought them into his presence and notice it's like the table they sat and they ate and they drank in the manifest presence of God. They saw God. It says in the Bible, they saw God. <laughs> and they did not drop dead. So the blood is what brings you into that manifest presence. How is the blood applied by faith and by authority? Hyssop represents faith. So the children of Israel took that handful of hyssop and used it like a paintbrush. It is faith. The blood of Jesus is applied by faith. In the Old Testament priest, they would take their finger, their forefinger, and dip it in the blood of a sacrifice and sprinkle it like that. And the finger always represents authority. So you apply the blood of Jesus by faith and by authority. It's not something you're going to see with your natural eye. It's got to be released by faith. See, the blood of Jesus still has all the power that we could ever need. His blood is available. All right, so communion regarding the church. Before I go into that, around that table of showbread, it was about, about maybe three feet in length, a foot and a half wide. So this is a small little table, three foot in width, and it was only about two feet tall. Had 12 loaves of bread, and that when I'm talking about, I'm talking about cakes of bread. 
Okay, six on each side have frankincense on top, but there was two crowns around the table. What I'm talking about about the authority, I believe that the two crowns represent the Jew and the Gentile, but we have great authority because of the blood of Jesus. When you realize that you're the righteousness of God in Christ, and you realize really who you are, and that you can approach the Lord through, through the blood, and that your prayers make tremendous power available, and you get a revelation about this, I'm telling you, you're going to come into a new place of great authority. All right, so the wood, the table was made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Wood in the tabernacle always speaks of humanity. Even though we are human beings, imperfect, have a sinful nature, still God has overlaid us with gold, so to speak, in Christ, hasn't he? The bread, this is interesting. The bread in the tabernacle was set out for six days. Then on the seventh day it was eaten. Did you know in the New Testament time that the church, it said they broke bread weekly? That had to be speaking of communion because you eat more than once a week. They got the pattern out of the tabernacle. And the children of Israel, Israel on an individual basis ate manna every day. Did they not? And did Jesus not compare his body and his blood to the manna from heaven, which I'm going to read in John 6. So I'm just saying, there's no limit. Jesus said as often as you will, there's no limit on how often you can take communion. There's just not. It's between you and the Lord. Let me give you a few more things before I close. The first love. In Revelation 2.4, you ought to read this whole chapter, but it said that this church, I believe it was Ephesus, was in danger of losing their lampstand because they were neglecting their first love. If you look up the first love in the Greek, it says supreme love feast. That's in the Greek. The supreme love feast, love feast was what they called taking the Lord's Supper, the communion. So basically, they were neglecting the table of showbread, and the Lord said, if you don't get back to that, you're in danger of also now losing the lampstand, which has to do with revelation and anointing, a fresh anointing. Revelation and a fresh anointing are connected to this table. See, the Ephesian church was born in the fires of revival very powerful church but there was a warning in scripture that they had started started neglecting the communion table how many churches out there are neglecting the lord's supper to take it maybe once a year if that you know every several months and now let me ask you this in those churches where you've been did you sense god's manifest presence was there fresh revelation was there a mighty flow of anointing Usually not. Why? Because the communion is connected to it. You know, God showed us His desire for fellowship even in the Old Testament when He created the feast days. He wanted people to come and sit and eat in His presence and be with Him. 
But there's something so powerful in the church setting. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 talks about the yeast being purged out I mentioned before. I've seen this. All right, in the church setting, I've seen where as we took communion every week, which we do, that maybe there would be a person that was trouble, you know, that they were like a Jezebel type or a Judas or some kind of a troublemaker. I mean, you know, you know Steve Hill said that Jezebels and Judases are running rampant, you know, and I would have to agree with that. So anyway, but I've seen over the years of taking communion frequently, I've seen how God purged the yeast out of the church where I was about to have to deal with something but this person was taking communion with us and before I could even deal with it which I would have they just disappeared never to see them again they're gone why? because the the Lord himself was purging the yeast out of the church I think if more churches would take communion more frequently they would have less problems the Lord himself See, communion is so powerful. The priest of the Old Testament would eat of the sacrifice, and it said in the Bible, they became so holy, even what they touched became holy. So there's a deep consecration there. They're made holy. The church is being made holy, not because of some magic wafer or any of that. It's because it represents Jesus' body and blood. And the church examines themselves and takes it, and there's a deep consecration. And when there's some unrepentant person there that refuses to get right in their trouble, it drives them right out. This is good preaching. The table of the Lord, and Paul said that the sacrifices, the worship of other gods, in 1 Corinthians 10, 21, he describes the worship of other gods as actually the worship of demons. That's what the Bible says. Read it for yourself. So when somebody's bowing down and worshiping the fat Buddha, okay, and they're bowing down and worshiping him, it is not actually Buddha that they're worshiping, but they're worshiping the principality that's behind that thing. Okay? So Paul was saying you cannot eat of the Lord's Supper and drink the cup of the Lord and then go and drink the cup of demons. you got to be careful with that. The Bible talks about an unworthy manner. There are certain things that, that can bring judgment. And somebody that's, that's taking the Lord's communion... And then they're going out and they're bowing down, eating food sacrificed to idols and worshiping in a Hindu temple. They're setting themselves up for judgment. You can't do that. Okay. So what is an unworthy manner? Also, if somebody's got unrepentant sin, let's say that they're having an affair and they don't want to repent, or they're having sex outside of marriage or whatever, and they don't want to repent. They're living in that lifestyle of sin. And then they come in and they want to take communion. That can bring judgment. They can actually drink judgment on themselves. All right, there was frankincense that was sprinkled on top of the bread. Frankincense has a very bitter taste, but it has a very sweet smell. Whenever the priest would eat of that bread, there was frankincense that was on the top part of it. Some people say it'll make you throw up. It doesn't make you throw up. It just it doesn't taste good. It's bitter. Maybe it makes some people. But it's, it's a bitterness about it. And what that represents is that we go through suffering. Remember Paul said, I'm... I'm filling up in my body I'm filling up in my body the marks of Jesus Christ the wounds of Christ and book of Romans says that if you share in Christ's sufferings you also share in his glory 
So there is an element of sharing in Christ's sufferings. As, as you're taking communion, you've got to understand that you're becoming one with Him. And the whole body of Christ, we're all described in the Bible as one lump of dough. It's like becoming one. Okay? And so people got to understand that in Christianity, there's an element of suffering that goes along with it, but that suffering also brings the glory in greater measure. And it's like this. We suffer, and then we're broken, and then the fragrance of Christ comes out. Interesting that the matzah bread that, that we use in communion, the matzah bread is like a big giant cracker, okay? But it has stripes, and it has piercings in it. And the Jewish people use the matzah bread. And every Passover, they take the matzah bread, and they break it, and they pass it around. And here they are holding what represents their Messiah, who was pierced and striped for them, and they can't even see it. There was one Jewish tribe, I can't remember which one, but Dick Rubin was saying that they would take the, the, the lamb at Passover, and obviously they killed it, and they, they would cut it open to roast it. And so as they had it there, they would put on this metal pipe, and to hold its chest open so they would roast, they had another pipe that went across sideways to hold the chest open. So they had this lamb with a, with a metal rod going up through the bottom and one going across like this. And it's sitting on coals of fire. They took the entrails and wrapped it around the top part where the head was, and it's turning like this as it's roasting. And they're sitting here seeing a lamb on a cross at Passover. But yet they can't even see Jesus as the Messiah. Something has blinded them. All right, here's the last part. Cleansing and removal from satanic influence. Let me read John 6.31. Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness as, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said... Always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. What is he saying there? He's saying, I am the manna that came down from heaven. I am the bread of presence. I am the bread that's at this uh, table of showbread. I am that bread. And he said, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. Unfortunately, that's what I'm talking about with many of the Jewish people today. They, they can, it's there in front of them, but they still don't see and believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall, not, I shall lose none of those that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Talk about the resurrection. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up in the last day so Jesus went on to say those that eat my flesh and drink my blood okay and they got offended at it who can eat your flesh and drink your blood okay and they got mad because can they thought about cannibalism they thought this guy's crazy but if they would have not got offended with Jesus if they would have stayed with him to the end he would have explained to them he was actually talking about Passover and he was talking about the Lord's Supper that he was about to give them. Let me tell you, when Jesus tells you something, don't get offended. Stay with him and let him fully explain it to you. 
They got offended and all of them left except the 12. Now Dick Rubin said this. He said, if you want to do a powerful fast, he said, spend some time fasting and only taking communion during that time. That's interesting thought. Well, the Bible says we're redeemed from the curse of the law, Galatians 3.13. So that when I take communion in the mornings, I'm thinking about how the blood of Jesus will wash away any satanic influence out. Any oppression, any hindrance, anything the devil's up to, he's going to flush that out by the blood of Jesus. And the blessings that were given to Abraham come on us as Gentiles. But this has to be done by faith. I'm going to tell you many times as I pray that, and I'm talking about the blood. I just visualize the blood just washing out of me and my family and ministry, any satanic influence. And I'm, I'm holding the elements, and I say, Lord, by faith, Derek Prince broke down the, the blessings given to Abraham in seven categories, okay? But by faith, Lord, I receive the blessings of exaltation and promotion, health and long life, reproductiveness, prosperity and abundance, favor and victory. And as I'm saying that, many times, most of the time, I start feeling the glory of God get so thick. Why? Because the blood of Jesus is making holy and separating anything that doesn't need to be there. And a fresh blessing is coming. That's why the Bible calls it the cup of blessing. In Corinthians, Paul talked about communion. He said, I received this from the Lord. How did the, the Apostle Paul get this? He wasn't there. He said, I received this straight from the Lord. The Lord thought communion was so important that he made sure that the Apostle to the Gentiles on his own, probably out in the desert of Arabia, wherever he was seeking God, got the revelation of communion so that he could take it to the Gentile church. But Paul said he called it the cup of blessing. You're drinking a blessing unto yourself. The Bible also says in 1 Peter 2.24, we're dead to sin and able to live a righteous life. People say, well, I just got it so hard to overcome sin. Here's what I have to say about that. You've got to die. When you're dead... One day, you're crucified in, in Christ, okay? And Jesus is now living His resurrected life through you. You will start overcoming those things that held you back. But the problem is, is many people have not come fully to a death resurrection process. That's why Galatians 2.20, we're crucified with Christ. It's not us who live. It's Christ living through us. That's how you're going to overcome. And by His stripes were healed many people are healed when they take communion. Claiming the promises of God, speaking faith confessions during these times. Remember when Jesus taught us, He said, if you pray, believe you have received it, you'll have what you ask. And then He said, say to the mountain. You have to vocalize your faith. Words have power. Jesus said, you speak to the mountain to be moved. And whatever you say will happen. Not whatever you believe, but whatever you believe first, but whatever you say. So as you take communion, it's a very powerful time to start speaking faith out of your mouth over your life. That mountains are going to move. And to lift your hands like a priest and begin to speak blessings over your family. One pastor told me every night, he had little kids, every night when he'd put his kids to bed, he would stand outside their door like a priest and he would speak a blessing over them. And now they're older and I'm going to tell you they're on fire for God. There's a power in speaking blessings, but blessings are connected to communion. That's why, I'm going to close with this, but that's why I told you in, in Genesis, remember, Abram had that victory. He defeated those four kings and their army with him and his family. The supernatural victory. But Abram came back and he stood before Melchizedek 
and they broke bread and had wine and they literally took communion together and Melchizedek said blessed be Abram by God most high and blessed him and you see after they took communion and he blessed him then Abram started moving forward into his destiny you read right after that how the covenant of circumcision God appeared to him changed his name spoke to him about Sarah getting pregnant everything that Abraham was promised he was still Abram but after he took communion and had a man of God bless him then he started moving forward in his destiny quick and this is what I close with the Bible says take it as often as you desire there's no limitations it angers me sometimes seeing how denominations and churches and ministries out there try to limit things there's no specific person that is authorized to administer communion and then other people cannot in the Bible we're all a kingdom of priests so there shouldn't be some special holy priest over here that can administer communion and nobody else can that's not scriptural at all you can take communion on your own at home and any of you can administer communion to your family okay and there's no limitations on how often you take it. There is such a power in it. I pray that tonight, as I spoke about this, that something has ignited in you to begin to take the Lord's Supper and to speak blessings. If you'll take communion with your family and speak blessings, that's why I open services like this. Because as we take time to take communion and get in the, covered in the blood and made holy by the blood, and I speak blessings, it's from that place that we move right into the glory. And many times, even as we're taking communion, you can feel the glory just begin to settle in real powerful. So, Father, as we shut down recordings, I pray in Jesus' name that you would ignite, Lord, a great faith in people. About communion, Lord, a great faith. And as they take the Lord's Supper, there's going to be power in it because of the faith now, the revelation. In Jesus' name.